Welcome to the How's Your Soul podcast. My name is Andrew, and you are listening to Season 1, Episode 31, How the Best Handle Power. In this episode, I want to take a look at how our soul deals with power. I want to discuss how we perceive power, what type of people typically maintain power, and why it can be so hard to manage power well. This is a uh, episode that I've been really excited to release for quite some time. I have this weird obsession with with power, and I've been exploring power and talking about power and researching power. And I just think power is is like a widely under discussed topic because it ends up impacting so much of our life, to the bosses that we have to the, the, the leadership of our country that we have, to authorities that we have, that we're surrounded by, to even ourselves and how we operate and influence within the power that we have in our current responsibilities. It's, it's everywhere and history would dictate that power is a very, very uh, influential source of energy. If we just kind of put it in that phrase, like it's, it's, it can it can be widely influential in the positive sense and it can be widely influential in the negative sense and it fluctuates like that there's there's really no it power is so volatile that it rarely exists in just the neutral it either takes the form of being used in a positive way or negative way and there's really no in between and and so I've been fascinated by it and I've experienced like I'm sure you have experienced a variety of different powers and how people have used powers. Um, I think, you know, growing up, I was exposed to a a reserved, respectful, approachable power um, through the lens of my dad, someone that felt um very much like he had control. He was patient. He understood. Um, he was the leader of the household. And yet at the same time, he was approachable and he was kind and he was loving. And rarely did he put his foot down in like a, um, in like a punishing sense. But even when he did, you understood why. So it wasn't like an abuse of power. It was just justice. It was justice. It was consequences of your actions. And so there was a lot of understanding and there's a lot of respect. And even today, even still, immense respect to my dad and just how he is as a man. But uh, I've also experienced other forms of power, right? Even on a peer level, I remember the very first time meeting a kid named Dylan. Gosh, I haven't talked about this guy in forever. And he always thought he was the toughest in the classroom, right? And he would use me and some other students as an example as as to to prove that point, right? He'd, he'd kind of like get you in like a headlock or he'd push you around a little bit. And, you know, he was it was such an interesting dynamic because he was like a good kid and he hung out with our friend group, but then he also kind of pushed it too far and he always wanted to be assertive and dominant. He wanted to be seen as that, as that group. And I feel like most bullies are, right? Most bullies want to be seen a certain way. Most bullies want to 
somehow gain the respect of others and that's kind of the avenue in which they pursue it. And I think a lot of us have, have experienced that even just at a peer level. And of course, we'd, we've had teachers that we would say, or even bosses, right? We, we use the phrase that are on a power trip, right? I'm, I'm using air quotes, but but really, right? It's like they feel like they've, they've gotten to this titled position to where now people just have to respect them and people just have to listen to them. And they do, in some senses, abuse that. Like they take that and they kind of, they just kind of run with it and they make decisions that uh, will more or less benefit themselves, or at least it's perceived that way from the person receiving, being on the tail end, the other end of that power. Uh, and so I remember, gosh, when I was a professor at uh, the university I graduated from, I ended up kind of a circle. I ended up becoming the pastor, got fired from becoming a pastor, then ended up becoming a professor and teaching communications for a couple uh, couple semesters. And it was actually an amazing experience. I love teaching. It's kind of partially why I do this podcast. I try not to teach on this podcast. I'd rather just have a conversation or or at, like try to keep it that way because I think I naturally divulge into just like pastoring and teaching because I just enjoy it. But I remember there was there was kind of the dean or the chair. Oh, I forget the, I'm getting like lost in the hierarchy of titles, but pretty much the head of our department. That's the best way to put it. And total power trip total power trip anyone that uh defied him or his vision for the department he like i'm not even joking he f- he fired or he'd shut down or he would um not like laugh at but he just put down that idea and, and make it s- seem silly or unrealistic or even stupid and i'm not even lying some of our best professors were fired because of him and the outrage that caused professors like myself, I was like the lowest on the totem pole. So I didn't really have a say in anything, but I can experience and see all this. So all the other faculty and then the students actually like revolted. Like they're like, get this guy out of this position. Like he is, he is destroying, he's destroying it. He's destroying the department. And they did. They fired him, but they didn't bring back the other professors. And I, I would imagine even they went to the professors and asked, they'd probably say, I'm done. You know, no. It was such an awful experience. And so I even, I, I was, those professors had had such a profound impact in my life. Uh, actually, well, I won't say names. Uh, I was going to say, I've talked about one of them on the podcast before, but um, that I ended up leaving. I was like, because I didn't like, right? I was on the tail end of, of, of that power as well. And obviously it was much more indirectly, but just like feeling the things that those other professors were feeling and processing through things. I was like, this is such an unhealthy place to work at. Gosh, even like, and it's, it's all the, it's literally all the time. And you're probably thinking, yeah, like I'm working now and my boss just sucks. You know, you know, I was talking to my sister and she just left her job and she left her job because of the culture created by the the leader the boss the ceo he was just such a he it wasn't that he was on a power trip but he just he he thought he was right he thought he his way or the highway kind of an approach and he, he never humbled himself to recognize maybe i'm doing something wrong maybe the culture i'm building isn't the right culture maybe the people i'm hiring aren't the right people and so he really didn't care how the culture was. He really didn't care how people felt. As long as the work got done, it was good enough for him. So she quit. Kudos to her. Right. And I, and I feel like everyone has that experience. Literally everyone that's listening on this podcast can recount a bad manager, a poor boss. And it all 
ends up deferring to how they handled power. So it's just so fascinating to me that we often don't really talk about power in many senses of how it gets played out or how to even how our soul absorbs and handles power because it is is a volatile energy that can do a lot of amazing things and and, and a lot of destructive things. And I think over the years, um, a lot of us, including myself, have hinged our ideology of power on this phrase um, called absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we've kind of stood by that. And, 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 and for me, as I've been doing a lot of self-reflection, I've almost labeled power as a negative thing. Right. Like I don't I don't even want power. Right. And, and those that have power, they inherently become corrupted by it. And so power is this thing to abstain from, to run away from, to not want. And it's because of experiences that I've had in, in viewing power through the lens of somebody else and realizing, man, they're 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 doing it so well. And I do think uh, generally, culturally, we, we perceive power in that sense. Right, we look at our, our 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 presidents. We look at our politicians. We look at our law enforcement. Right, whatever side of the spectrum you fall on, and there are people in each of those places that use power corruptly. There was this really interesting study done in 1971. I feel like most of you will probably be familiar with it, but if not, this will be a cool uh, little little gateway to to some of the things they were doing back in the day. It's called the Stanford prison experiment. It was conducted by Dr. Philip uh, Zimbardo, and uh, it it was conceptually, the way that they laid this out is, uh, I believe it was, uh, I think it was high school or college aged men that they reached out to and asked to be a part of this experiment. Of course, they paid them, uh, but essentially what would happen is they would divide these guys into two different groups. One would become prisoners. Uh, in, in that they would actually exist in a jail and live they, the lifestyle of a prisoner. And then the other group became guards in which their primary uh, responsibility was to maintain law and order within the prison. And they made it really like they, re- they made it really realistic. They, they would have real police go and arrest the prisoners. And that's how the, that's how the experiment actually officially began. The guards were already brought in for orientation, but then they would go out and they'd actually arrest these prisoners. They'd put them in prisoner garb and then they'd put them in the jail. And there's a whole array of emotion. Of course, you're taking young men and you're putting them in the situation. Of course, you're going to have a lot of different things. But the experiment only lasted six days. You know, and, but it's 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 world-renowned experiment. It's a world-renowned experiment. And it, it only lasted six days. And, and the reason why it stopped so suddenly, so quickly... One is because of the psychological trauma of the prisoners, but two, the guards in their newly found position to their peers who are clearly hierarchically positioned beneath them, not even not even beneath them as a boss would to a coworker, but to an authoritarian to a prisoner, which that, that gap is just immense, that they would actually uh, abuse the prisoners. 
whether that's verbal abuse or, or legitimately physical abuse, they'd strip them naked, they right, in order to quote unquote inspect them, right? They 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 literally dehumanized in in many senses of the words their own friends, their peers. They were they were going to the exact same school on the same social status a week before, and yet here they are in a newfound environment, and they instantly bought in to the power that was given to them, and they really did abuse that in a negative way. And because of uh, another member of Zimbardo's staff, as well as a lot of the parents, the experiment was canceled very shortly after it even began, just six days. But but that I learned that you know, back in grade school. And I don't think I've ever forgot it. It's become kind of the epitome of what I believe power to be. That if someone is given power, it will corrupt them. And it wasn't until recently as I've continued to really dive into power and dissect power and study power and look at power that I've slowly begin to shift how I see it. Because that's it for me. It was like power corrupts absolutely, a hundred percent. If you if you indulge in power, you will become corrupt. And I uh, I've begun to shift away from that slowly, and it's a subtle shift, but it's a really important shift. I'll start with some quotes that I think have been influential. Uh, that have caused me to think differently about this and have rephrased some of the things that I've seen power can do in the human soul. There's an individual by the name of Robert Caro. He's a Pulitzer-winning biographer, specifically following the life of Lyndon B. Johnson. And as he's thinking through Johnson's presidency and the life that he lived, Robert would go on to write that power doesn't always corrupt. Power always reveals. He would say, when you have power to do what you always wanted to do, then you see what the guy always wanted to do. And the guy's talking about Johnson here. But it's it's it was this fascinating revelation to me, amongst other things that I was studying and reading at the time, that power is the great magnifier, if you will. In and of itself, it's not necessarily corrupt. And you know, there's this kind of funny correlation in the Christian church, isn't there, with money. I talked about this a couple episodes ago. Uh, feel free to go back and take a listen. We talk about finances and how the soul uh, kind of deals with the consumption of wealth and, and the perception of, of what wealth is and how wealth affects the soul. And I think for many years, the Christian church would say that wealth or money is the root of evil. And of course, we know that to be an inaccuracy, right? Actually, scripture and its infinite wisdom would say that the love of money Right, the, the, the relentless pursuit, the reorientation of your soul towards the acquirement of money is the root of evil. And I, I began to see, in a paralleled sense, power to be very similar to, to money. That money in and of itself doesn't corrupt, but it does reveal and it heightens whatever motives were there to begin with. And so... It's, it, it became this fascinating shift in my f- ideology towards power. And then there's other things like, for example, uh, Abraham Lincoln would be quoted as saying, any man can withstand adversity. If you want to test his character, give him power. Right? Any man can overcome something and, be, and look like a great man. But if you actually want to test what a man is made of, give him 
power. What a profound statement. And it goes back to similar to what Robert was saying in that it's a, it's a magnifier. It's a revealer. Um, I am a, I have not read the books, but the new Dune movie, which came out a couple years ago, uh, or did it come out last year? 2021? 2020? 2021? Anyway, it's amazing. Like phenomenally done. Now, the actual author, Frank Herbert, he wrote this whole world, I think, 1920 to 1986. And in his book, Chapter House Dune, he, he, ex- he explores power. And he writes something that's, I think, widely applicable to today and has provided some really cool insight into the conversation here. He says, all governments suffer a recurring problem. Power attracts pathological personalities. It is not that power corrupts, but that it is magnetic to the corruptible. Such people have a tendency to become drunk on violence, a condition to which they are quickly addicted. Oh, it's like, oh, this is so good, right? Not that, not only does power magnify the motives, desires, and drives of a man, but it attracts people with an inclination to do harm. And I think, or not necessarily to do harm in a in a direct sense, but indirectly do harm through their narcissistic drives and motives, right? It, that power becomes a vessel to self-fulfillment, self-drive, self-status, self-accomplishment, and it corrupts from that sense. And then other people become impacted by that level of narcissistic power. And I think that's really, really fascinating. I've, I've often thought that, but from a very different lens. When I was um, a pastor and I was hired on, I, I did very much lack the, the character of a wise leader. I was spunky. I was passionate. I was driven. I worked 150% every single day, seven days of the week. Because when you're a pastor, very rarely are the weekends your weekends, right? Uh, well, they, they can be. It just depends on how you set boundaries. Uh, but I was sold. I was sold to the cause of what I was doing. And I was very passionate. And the word that I'd often use to describe my leadership is just charismatic. I was a charismatic leader full of energy and youth, full of passion and drive. And yeah, I had strategy and there's a track, there was an attractiveness about that in my leadership. So it was easy for people to fall under my guidance in terms of where I was going, but I lacked a lot of the fundamental core, uh, not necessarily skills, but, uh, virtues of a, uh, weathered wise leader. And so when I left, sorry, not left when I got fired from being a pastor and became a professor and left that ended up going to Montana and I was doing a lot of self-reflection, I really began and I started hearing stories of like Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll and dozens of other dozens of other leaders, the leader of Hillsong. I mean, there's so many you can get into of just like leaders that are these bigger than life charismatic men, but they become corrupt, widely corrupt, and their organizations end up falling apart or becoming corrupt. And 
thank God I didn't see that happen at in my leadership. Maybe that maybe I was I was there for too too soon, um, but I would be naive to think that uh, anything else would be different in my leadership because I did I felt like there was a gap in my character, and so I'd often say, uh, kind of similar in parallel to Frank Herbert's quote that um, we often navigate and are are um, pulled towards charismatic leaders over a leader of character. And this is obviously less to do with the individual themselves being pulled to power, right? Which I think there's, I do think there's a complete reality to, to Herbert's idea of individuals being attracted to power and they have a very certain, like, you know, pathological personality. But I also think the people that are looking for people of power, we also perceive it very similarly. We, we look at charismatic leaders as strong leaders. You know, I don't want to become highly political, but Obama is a great example of that, right? Someone with immense charisma, wonderful charisma, one of the best public figures in terms of just how they, how they, how their appearance was and the consistency of their appearance and how they handled themselves in so many different situations. I mean, quite literally a masterclass of public appearance and public study, really phenomenal, but in my opinion, lacked a tremendous amount of character. But I think people are very much attracted to that, right? Leaders are often chosen out of their charisma, and many times it is at the expense of character. It really is. And I've learned over the years that that has divulged society in just repetitiously narcissistic, poor leaders that appear so good. They appear so great and they look great and they sound great, but their character, their moral compass, their ethical guidelines are muddied and gray and go by the wind and whatever the people want at the time. And there's not a steadfastness that isn't pretty. It's not marketable. It isn't like people don't look at that and say, wow, confident leader, really attractive leader. Right, leadership, true leadership capabilities when it comes to handling and managing power aren't pretty. It's humility. It is saying I don't know. It is delegating and giving away, which we'll talk about in a little bit. It's um, saying I messed up. It's accountability. These things that aren't very uh, marketable, they aren't very... um, they, they don't give the impression of a strong leader, and yet those are the, the best virtues of a great leader. And so I just, I just think that's very interesting, right? We've cultivated a society in which charismatic leaders are the top leaders, and I think charismatic people typically have certain tendencies, and, and when they see that the opportunity for power is there, they take it. And that's created a society of consistently bad leaders, <laughs> in my opinion, <laughs> really badly. And I'm not, just, you know, let's not just talk about Obama. We can talk about Trump, where we can we can literally talk about any of the presidents for the past like five or six presidencies. It has. They're all there. They all handled power very similarly, and I think they handled it really poorly in many regards. So, one of the things that I, I often draw back into when I see leadership at that capacity, bigger than life leaders, leaders that are often 
charismatic over character. There needs to be a framework, I think. And this is where I'm this is where I'm still learning and studying. L- leaders really thrive in a a structure. It has to be a certain structure that allows them to 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 lead in that way, right? And so one of the things that I saw pretty early on as a pastor, and I've seen this in many environments that have led to the collapse of that organization or leader, is what I'm calling the elder approach to power and leadership. Okay, now that has a lot of good connotation. Elders are awesome. Elders are biblical. But I think the elder approach to leadership and power is this idea of um, these men or women have been put in this place of power and responsibility. And so purely because of that, that they've been given, if you're, if you're a Christian, it becomes even more scary because now you even, you, you even add to the fundamental belief that these people were put here by God, right? That they, that they were put in their position by God. And now there is this undue trust this unearned trust and respect to who they are. There is no proving. There is no um, seeking out the wisely how this leader is leading and responding and, and, and casting vision and making uh, discerning decisions. It, it is this like, we just, uh, we just give trust and we give authority and we give respect and we give power to them simply because they were put in that position. And again, in the Christian world view, we believe that they were put there by God. That is, that is a scary, scary approach to power and leadership because instantly they are put on a pedestal where there is seemingly no levels of accountability. They make the decision, and that decision is no longer tied back to the individual, but it's almost tied back to God himself. It's like, oh, this person must be, they must be hearing from God. They must be speaking to God. They're making this decision out of their reverence and, and connection to God. Right? I'm going to follow this person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be submissive to this person. You just met that person. That person just became a leader last year. Why? Why? Why do we give such undue, unearned trust, respect, reverence to an individual that has yet to earn it? And I think that comes in this elder approach. And I've seen that in a lot of churches, a lot of churches, right? Oh, he's the, he's the pastor. He's the, he's the executive pastor. You know, I trust whatever he says. Never, never, never trust at face value what a human being says. Be critical of your heart and your soul sift through discernment and wisdom. Paul says that. Paul says, don't just take what I'm saying at face value. Go, read, research. Look and see if what I'm saying is real and truthful. And I think every single person should be doing that with any level of authority, but we don't. Specifically within the church, I think elders get a huge pass to having to earn our trust, respect, and authority simply because they were put there, quote unquote, by God in that power of leadership and authority. And so they make decisions and we just drive with it. And so I think that's led to a lot of unhealthy 
cultural environments, a lot of unhealthy churches, a lot of church collapses, a lot of church leadership, a lot of, a lot of executive powers, uh, pastors um, becoming wrapped up in sin. And I feel bad for the, I've been in the other position. Like I feel bad for the leaders that have to deal with power and so much of it. And they are put and propped up on this very high pedestal. I even saw that a little bit this past Sunday. You know, it's like, oh, I, just, I love going over to the pastor's house, man. Oh, it's so good. I, you know, I get really close to the pastor. And, you know, there's usually this huge line for a pastor. It's like, why the hell do we do that? He's just a dude. Like the rest of us following God. Yeah, he's put in a position to lead us, and there's some responsibility there. But, yo, we are, like, revering these people, and we just met these people. Right? We heard, oh, my gosh, I can go, I can just tangent this so hard because I get so frustrated with how Christians treat leaders. It's like there's this deep revere. Oh, my gosh, this leader. Oh, wow, I look up to him so and so much. And then they make a mistake, and they're like, put him down. Crucify him. You know, we're not really that much further from the Roman soldiers, are we, when it comes to church leaders? You want to talk about Carl Lentz? You want to talk about Mark Driscoll? You want to talk about, you know, I can go on and on with just a list. Brian Houston. I mean, how many more leaders do you want me to talk about that have led poorly, led narcissistically, led in sin, and we just crucify the hell out of them because we prop them up as this glorified leader and we took the elder approach to leadership rather than discerning and sifting their words and seeing if their actual character to the charisma. And when we recognize that they weren't, maybe we guard ourselves rather than indulge in their leadership until they finally fell and we just crucify them. There's your problem with church leadership. And so that's partially my drive in, in wanting to understand power and power dynamics and how the soul handles power because I feel just as bad for the church that's blindly following as the person who's having to lead the blind. I feel so bad for both. And the leader wrestles. I've been on this inside of conversations where it's like, I don't know what to do. I feel like I can do anything. I, f I don't have accountability that I need. And I'm slipping and I'm falling and I'm scared that if my church finds out that it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a horrific mess. If they really knew that I was just a man, if they really knew that I was just a woman, if they really knew that I'm just like them, that I struggle with the exact same things they struggle with. Gosh, I think, th I think they would be, I think they'd like run away. Because we revere these leaders to the point where it's like they're Jesus Christ. That they can't even make a mistake. And we're like, no, 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 no. They can make a mistake. No, they're human. They're human. But then when they make a mistake, we say, we ask for their resignation. We ask for their undue apology and for them to step down. And we have like these restorative programs and these like, and these, ugh, I can, I can literally just go on and on. It, it, it drives me absolutely nuts how the church handles power as a, as a community and then how leaders handle power within the church context. It's, it's really some of the worst I've ever seen. It is some of the worst I've ever seen. It stems from the, the, the thought that we hire charisma over character, but then I think it goes down straight to the individual that is under their leadership and how we perceive that individual with undue amounts of respect and authority. And, uh, Oh, it could just lead to so many bad things.
want to take this into a positive direction. I don't want to just rant. I sorry, I, I did get into rant. My, that's my apology. I didn't. I didn't actually. That's not in the notes. I promise, it's not in the episode notes. <laughs> I didn't mean to go there. But gosh, I'm passionate about that. Um, I want to. I want to. I want to move us into a, more of a you know a, a biblically discerning position of wisdom and 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 power, because I think there's something really, really meaningful there. You know, the, it's it's interesting. The Bible rarely prescribes how we manage or handle power, but you have an entire narrative. <laughs> you literally have an entire narrative called the Bible that deals with power. You know, in earlier episodes, I talked about, um, and I'm having to remember the specific language that's being used here. It's coming from Bema, uh, an awesome podcast. And I think it's anyone, everyone should listen to at least seasons one through three. Phenomenal. Um, done by Marty Solomon and Brett Billings. Um, they would create this dichotomy of 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 um, kind of an individual's outlook and path. There's this uh, kingdom of empire, which is a a self fulfilling kingdom. It's a it's a uh, it's a narcissistic kingdom. It's a it's a building up of your own kingdom. And then there's this kingdom of shalom. I think is what they called it, which is really a, a self sacrificial kingdom. It's a it's a um, it's a giving of yourself kingdom. It's a it's it's full of wisdom and character. Right? I would say kingdom of empire is full of um, personality. It's full of entertainment and and status and accomplishment. And it is is putting your best uh, foot forward and putting your best face on. Right? It's showing your best version of yourself. It, it there's not vulnerability. There isn't honesty or transparency, right? In the in the kingdom in in the kingdom of empire, you are doing your best to fake it till you make it to look like you are everything, so they will follow you and revere you and fear you and respect you. Whereas, the kingdom of shalom is full of service and humility and sacrifice and delegation of power and giving up of power, and uh, it looks like it just looks very very different. It looks really really different. I think oftentimes the Bible plays both of those out really. Uh, beautifully in narrative form, sometimes in, in poetry or in wisdom literature, but oftentimes it's just in narrative. And you read through the narrative of scripture and you see people who choose both of those paths of how to manage and deal with power. And there's this ultimate line of thought that those who choose power for themselves in the narcissistic sense to build up one's own empire ultimately leads to its own destruction. And those that end up giving away their their time and their empire, quote unquote, right, with their resources and their finances and even of themselves through servitude end up becoming and building the greatest kingdom ever, which is God's kingdom, and being a integral part of all of that. Sorry, that's not a really Christianese building up, building up the best kingdom, God's kingdom. But truly, like it is, it is a it is a recognition of what where power is derived from, which is actually what I want to get to in just a second, and building towards that. So here's what I want to say, because the Bible is really clear on one thing, when it comes to power, it, does, it doesn't say it outright. It often says it through narrative, and we have to read through the story to see how people manage power. But when power is explicitly stated. It is almost entirely and exclusively stated through the medium of God himself. That we as Christians, that followers of Jesus, we have access to power through the Holy Spirit, through God himself. That language is is universally mentioned in the New Testament. 
right? It's like, you want power, you get power through God. And oftentimes there's even a caveat to that. It's often you get power through your weaknesses or in your weaknesses through God, right? It's this, it's this humble. It is, it is a, a, I, I know that I'm weak here and yet God will inform and reinforce and play a huge role in, in, in allowing me to lead well or to manage this responsibility well to have and maintain this power well. It's often through our weaknesses, but through the strength of God. And that language is there continuously. So what does that look like practically? You know, because we always say things like that, right? It's, it's through God. And it always feels very whimsical. I, I do think it's it's really simple. It is just a, it's a recognition of, of the concept of stewardship, which I think we'll get to in its own episode. I've, I've kind of hinted and alluded to that. It might be the next one or the one after. But stewardship is profound in that it's a recognition that everything that you have really is not yours. Down to yourself, your gifts, your traits, your skills. And while you've resourced those very well, you've invested in those resources. You've grown your skill to be an excellent teacher or engineer uh, or marketer or communicator or doctor or whatever, right? While you've stewarded Okay, right. Well, you've invested in those resources. Those those ultimately weren't yours to begin with. They were given to you. And so there's this wisdom that comes with stewardship. There's this recognition of who it ultimately belongs to, which is God. He was the one that gave those opportunities, instilled those opportunities, birthed those opportunities in characteristics and personality traits and behaviors and uh, and the resources that you start with. Right? He, he, he deals the cards. He deals the cards. And when you recognize that he deals the cards, power ultimately becomes an avenue in which you can, again, continue to invest and fuel and resource those investments, those things that he's already given to you for the sake of other people rather than yourself. And so I often think when people talk about, you know, power in God's name, it is a, it is a reverent respect an understanding of your position in line with who God is and making wise, informed decisions to utilize your power, your resources, uh, your economics, your time for him and what he wants instead of yourself. And I think, I think he'll instill you with new opportunity, new resources, new power, new responsibility. He will, he'll continue to invest in you as you continue to invest in his kingdom. And we would prescribe that holistically as power, right? You gain more power, more responsibility. I wanted to, um, you know, there's one other thing about power that I, that I have come to understand that I think takes its form more and more today in the church, outside the church. And if we're not actively pursuing a biblical power, I think we can find ourselves here. And I think we have found ourselves here. Um, in 1959, there was two uh, psychologists. I think a lot of people are probably familiar with this. I remember uh, reading about these two and their five forms of power. You may recall this from grade school or college. It's been like such a long time. I remember researching this because I was like, what are these again? And I was looking it up and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. This has been a long time since I've since I've looked these up, but it's, it's French and Raven's five forms of power. 
and they outline five, and I'm not going to go over them. It's just a sake of context, really. But they have a, they have five forms of powers called legitimate power, reward power, expert power, referent power, and coercive power. And um, they've they've added a couple uh, post their their original study and 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 publication. I think there's seven now. But there's one form of power seemingly probably tucked under another form, like legitimate or something like that. That seems to uh, it's kind of like the Hydra, you know, it's like that. It's like one of the hidden heads of the dragon <laughs> that is slowly becoming more and more prominent in its role in society in public discourse in um, in our churches. And I hesitated at first I was going to call it uh, the power of fear. But that really does kind of fall under like coercive, and you can you can see that power through like expert power. There's there's different ways that that can express itself, and 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 I think fear is a little bit too, too generic. Though I do think people definitely experience a a fear, like a power of fear, right? Someone coming in, they use fear as a means to gain power. But more pinpointed, more specifically, I wanna I wanna dub a new form of power. I'm calling it emergency power, the power of emergency. I'm seeing this more and more. Some people could call it the power of urgency, specifically in churches, um, the power of now, immediacy. But I'm calling it emergency because it often feels and takes that form in communication. The most prominent example that I can give today, I think this will become outdated, but I'm okay with outdating this particular episode. They'll all become outdated, but um, is COVID and how our government handled the information and dissemination of, 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 of COVID. And they created a sense of emergency. And I think this does something profoundly interesting to the human soul. To the one side, the one that has a seat of authority, the power of emergency is incredibly versatile and powerful. Very, very powerful. I would argue it's probably one of the most potent forms of power that's on this list. Because in in emergency, I think people often allow emotion to drive logic. They, they are driven towards uh, a desire for solution, a desire for leadership, a desire for a plan, and they'll turn to anyone that they deem noteworthy to receive that. And so as someone that's in a position where they can exercise emergency power, profound, profound. You can move people to do things they would never have done on their own using emergency power. I know so many friends who at first thought that the, that the vaccine was just so stupid, right? It was like so politicized. And, 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 and whoa, before I just get kicked off of Spotify forever, I'm totally, totally, totally for vaccines. I have vaccines, right? I'm totally, there's a lot of legitimate data and science to back vaccines. Okay, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I do think that COVID, the COVID vaccine was compl- very much underdeveloped, very much understudied, very, very much um, overly politicized. And I had people that were like, oh, this is so stupid. I'm never going to get it. And then people started saying, well, you're not going to get this job unless you get this because it's an emergency. You have to get this to protect other people. 
well, you're not going to get this opportunity unless you get this. And all every single media platform ever was like, you need to get this. You need to get this. It's emergency. We're an emergency. You're going to kill people. You're going to kill people if you don't get this. And I had a lot of friends get it. No judgment. Sure, get the vaccine. Just get it for the right freaking reason. Right? You've you've leaned into emergency power. You've neglected logic and reason for emotion and the sense of urgency and immediacy and, and emergency. And, and you fell for it. You totally fell for it. And that happens so many times. My my biggest fear, my biggest fear, and this is happening less and less, less but is that emergency power is used in line with the gospel. How many of you have ever heard a message like this? If you don't repent, you're, you're a sinner and you're going to go to hell. You're going to burn forever. But if you repent right now, you can be saved. Hmm. Doesn't that kind of sound like emergency, immediacy, urgency? They're using a platform and a position of power and they're utilizing emergency power. Now, that's true. I mean, the message that he said was true, but he's utilizing the platform of power to cultivate emergency to cause you to react and respond not out of logic, out of emotion, not out of a thoughtful, respective approach to the situation, but a, I need to make a decision now, and you seem like you have your stuff together, so I'm just going to follow what you say. And that is so short-lived. I know so many people who responded out of that form of the gospel who's so far away from Jesus, and their life never shaped or turned around at all, because it never sunk deep into their soul. It was this emotional whim of a decision and they never got down to really what they truly believed about this and allow that to sunk in and, and really bite deep into their soul to where they're making informed decisions based on what they know and what they don't know. There's a little bit of trust and there's a little bit of faith. There's 100% that. But at least you're taking the time to evaluate the whole thing. So I really do think emergency power is this, uh, it's kind of this hidden power that's been propping up more and more and more and more and it worries me because it's very powerful and people that said they'd never do this one thing are now doing that one thing because of emergency people that said i'll never I'll, i'm never going to get this or i'm never going to do that or i'll never say this or i'll never become this kind of person have totally changed into that because of emergency it's wild to me and it's not just the government I know I use that one example. It's a very polarizing example. It's a very political example. It's just my opinion. Hopefully you can respect it like I respect yours, right? Like let's have public discourse about this. But, you know, it's, 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 it's infiltrated our schools. It's infiltrated, it's infiltrated our peers. It's infiltrated our, our churches. It's infiltrated our communities. This sense of urgency, immediacy, and emergency power is, is so, it, it avoids reason and it causes us to look towards completely completely unethical leaders or leaders that are in a position that are just that by nature are just unethical right rather than looking for good solid wise weathered leaders who have a tremendous amount of um, authority and respect and patience in the process and can actually lead out of that rather than leading out of this um, position of emergency uh, so it's, it's yeah it's wild to me it really is wild to me and I'm seeing it more and more. And so anyway, it begs the question, you know, I want to cut wrap this up eventually. This is probably one of the longest episodes I've ever shot. And it's just me too. You're probably tired of listening to me. 
Um, it begs the question, like, how how do you handle power? You know, we, we talked about a little bit conceptually of, like, submitting yourself under the one who gives power, which is God. But I, th- I think there's a really even more practical way in managing and handling power. And it's to give it away. Right? When I look at practically some of these incredibly wise leaders around me and that's not a I mean that's not a huge group of people I'm just one person of you know my network only goes so far and while I have you know avenues like social media and the news to look at other leaders I think the the, the ones that I get the most insight to are the ones closest to me and the ones I think have handled power best are ones that recognize that they are not the best in the room they're not the smartest in the room that they're put there for a season and they handle that with great respect, discernment, and care. But ultimately, they're constantly deciding and trying to build up a team strong enough to carry everything forward and it doesn't just rest on them. And so they, I often find great leaders are leaders that handle power by giving it to others. I think, you know, not to be the, the Christian answer in Sunday school, I think Jesus was really good at this. I think Jesus was one of the best at this. He had unbelievable, in the most literal sense of that word, power, unimaginable power at his fingertips. He can do miracles, perform powerful feats, and yet oftentimes found himself humbling. He he, he humbled himself for the sake of bringing up others, for the sake of instilling um meaningful lessons and virtues in other people. Washing the disciples' feet, dying on the cross, taking his time regularly out of his day to field seemingly very stupid questions that his disciples would ask, teaching them, serving them, being there for him, for them. It's all something that someone in a narcissistic sense of power would never do, and yet he did. He embodies that term of leadership we just call servant leadership. And I often find more and more that that is the avenue in which power is best utilized is in a servant leader when they are constantly looking to humble and give away what they have rather than hold up and and barricade their power and leadership and make sure no one can touch it. Jesus was ready to give it to others in the form of miracles, in the form of healing, in the form of serving, in the form of teaching, in the form of sacrifice. There's this really incredible leadership book called Good to Great by Jim Collins. Our team uh, that I work for is, is, has, is, has already read it. Um, I just finished it recently. And there's this concept of, of two different kinds of, of leadership teams. There is a strong team built up, of course, by the leader. But that team really, really, really exists as a soundboard and accountability space for that leader. They push back. They disagree Right? They're not scared to get their hands dirty. Right? They're not scared to say no to the leader when he makes a decision or is asking for direction. Right? They're prominent. They're confident. They're available. They're present. And they are more than ready to go to bat for what they truly believe, regardless of whether the leader is on their side or not. Parry that to a genius with a thousand followers or as that's what would Jim Collins would call this form of leadership, in which there is an individual who's profoundly smart, really, really, really 
innovative and makes a lot of wise decisions but ends up leading in such a way that they just develop a lot of followers to come alongside them and when they leave the company suffers the community suffers the people they suffer why because he held that power he maintained that power he kept that power right he didn't give it away he didn't hire people that that seemingly had equal levels of power or more power than themselves he he bottled up that power and held it tightly subconsciously or consciously and was seen as the leader of the organization for i don't know clout status whatever accomplishment and when they left everything suffered a great leader is often one that gives power away i think that's a powerful thing to do I think there's a lot of people listening to this episode, a lot of people in power, a lot of people following someone in power. Hopefully this was informative. I really love talking about it. I think it's immensely powerful. We haven't even talked about accountability with power. (laughs) Something so much of our society is lacking, right? Accountability, that's going to be its own episode, honestly. It's, It's just, it is so, so far gone in our society. It's unbelievable and even in our churches. But I think a lot of it stems from power. So it's good to have the power conversation first and maybe we'll talk about accountability later on. But yeah, hopefully if you're in if you're in a position of power, I hope this encouraged I hope this challenged you. This challenged me. Right? I don't want to be just the sole best at what I do. I want to surround myself with people that are smarter, wiser, better at everything than than I am. And lead out of that. Right? How much better will my community be? How much better will my organization be? How much better will the influence be? Which is not the influence of one, but the influence of many. How how powerful will 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 it be for for me to grow and learn and develop as a leader? Be just surrounded by people that are just as strong. Then to look for opportunities to give away. Right to take the power that I'm being given, which is important, and and treasure that and be responsible, but then invest it in other people, so you can grow up and be and and and, and maintain power really well, as well. And so that's my. That's my challenge. Um, hopefully the conversation was good. Hopefully it gets you thinking about how power is and how you operate with power and how you maintain power, how your soul um, takes on power, what it does with it. Maybe challenge you a little bit to handle power in a more uh, wise approach, in a wise way that ends up um, really instilling um, into others, which I think could be a really beautiful way in which we utilize power together. 